If you'll make sure you get your worksheet and something to write with and find the little book of Jude. And it's an easy one to find. And maybe one you don't turn to very often. But if you open up the back of your Bible, uh, Revelation, and then just turn back one book and you're right there at the little book of Jude. Jude. And while you're finding that, I want to show you something. I want to show you this right here. And since you can't, you get good eyesight, Toby? Can you read what that says on the back? California Gold, $18.50, $10. All right, let me have that back, Toby, uh, where that gets gone. California Gold, $18.50, $10. Now, I used to collect coins, and I don't remember how this particular coin came into my possession, but do you know how much an eighteen fifty California gold ten dollar coin? You didn't know I had this, did you? Yes, you didn't know I had this. You know what? An eighteen fifty ten dollar California gold piece is worth ten dollars. Well, according to the two thousand eight Red Book, which a Red Book is, tells you coin prices, two thousand eight edition, one in fine shape is worth $32,000. Now wait. If it's in uncirculated condition, it can be worth upwards to 175000 Uncirculated means it hasn't been out in circulation. Now, I've never had this one professionally graded, so I cannot tell you the grade. But you know why I haven't had it graded? Because it's not real. It's a fake. Now, I'm not a gold expert, but there's several reasons why I'm pretty sure this is a fake. Number one, I'm a preacher and it's worth 32000 uh, But now, honesty, when, here's one of the ways I know it's not real. Well, you got scratches. Here's a picture of a real $18.50, $10 California gold. Now, Lauren, when you look at the real deal and you look at mine, you tell me what you think. It's pretty obvious, isn't it? Look at the character on that horse. Looks pretty different, doesn't it? Looks pretty sad. Yeah, one of looks like a turtle. <laughs> 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 it really does. Looks like a turtle riding a horse. Yeah. He does not even turtle. Turtle. <laughs> well, there, there's, there's good news, honey. Hold on. Um, so, <laughs> it does not have in God we trust. Now, this would have been California gold. Yeah. Um, if, if it was real. I wish it were real. Of course, if it was real, I probably wouldn't have it in my collection. So I did a little internet search, and I happened to find this one. Lauren, you just looked at that one. See if that's the same coin. See if it looks like a turtle riding a horse. That's, that's it, isn't it? So what we have here, according to this, is a rare... This, of course, this is the salesman writing this. Everything's rare and valuable. You know, call now. A rare $18.50, $10 California gold eagle... eagle Token coin. So it's a token. And according to this, it says these tokens were commonly bought as souvenirs in California during the mid-1800s to the early 1900s. They can even be acquired usually in replica mint sets even today. Uh, This dealer thinks this particular one was sold as a souvenir prior to 1960. And you can buy one for your very own for $14.99. With two ninety nine shipping and handling. Now, if you want to buy one, I'll sell you this one for ten dollars um, tonight. 
But, I, but the reason I showed you that is not just to, to talk about coins tonight. Have you ever heard the saying, all that glitters is not gold? There's something known as what? Fool's gold. It looks like it. it it's something you think, man, I really found a treasure. When in reality, you haven't found much of anything. Now, what does it mean when we say all that glitters is not gold? What does it mean? It means it may appear one way, but be totally opposite. In other words, looks can be deceiving. Very much so. And that's true when it comes to gold coins or even gold that you might wear a necklace Maybe you bought a gold necklace and you take it off and there's green. Y'all ever done that? Anybody want to testify? Uh, whether, whether, yeah, it looks one way, but you realize it's not the real deal. It's true as well as concerning gold coins. It's also true in the church. Uh, let's start. You've got Jude. Put your finger in Jude. Don't lose it. Turn to Matthew 7. And we'll begin there and then we'll turn back to the book of Jude. And I want to pick up on that thought, all that glitters is not gold. Matthew chapter 7. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to set the stage for our study of the little book of Jude. So I've given you quite a bit of material in the worksheet. I wanted you to have that as we kind of set the stage. As we'll come back and cover even a lot of these verses we covered tonight. Matthew chapter 7. If you have a Bible that has the red letters in it to, to mark out the words of Christ, you're going to notice what we're reading are the words of Christ. Matthew chapter 7. And we'll begin reading at verse 15, where the Bible says, Matthew 7, 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you, how? In sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Now, look at verse 21. This is Jesus speaking. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, now notice this, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I, that is Jesus, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There are those in the church there are those who are even teachers and preachers and leaders and those in positions of authority and importance in the church at large who profess the name of Jesus. But in reality, they don't even possess him. They do not know Jesus Christ. It's like this token. Man, you look at it, you think there's a gold coin. There's something valuable. There's something real. When in reality, it's really a cheap fake. It's not real at all. In other words, these people look like and talk like and act like a Christian when in reality they're not. And they stand before the Lord. They say, Lord, we did all these things. And Jesus didn't say, no, you didn't do anything in my name. But he says, this, I never knew you. I never knew you. They were apostates. Apostates. And the little book of Jude talks about apostasy. Now, I want us to understand what apostasy is all about. 
You ever heard that word apostasy or apostates? You probably have. You've been in church any amount of time. I've given you a definition there. This is O.S. Hawkins, and you've got some blanks you can fill in there. Simply defined, you ready for this? Simply defined, apostasy is a turning away from the truth. Apostasy is a turning away from the truth. Before we read the rest of it, Brother William and Miss Ruby, they're doing the meals, helping with the meals um, uh, this month. They were just telling me that they had, seen, uh, they had seen two Baptist preachers on the news. Maybe you saw them too. And they were telling me, Mr. William and Miss Ruby, that these two Baptist preachers, they kind of had their face kind of disguised, you know, where you couldn't see who they were. They were talking about how they had lost their faith. They didn't believe anymore, but they're still preaching. And they're still preaching because they don't know what else to do. That's what they know how to do. That's what they're skilled at doing. But that's what they're doing. They don't have any faith. They don't have any belief anymore, but they're still preaching something they do not believe. Beloved, those men... Are apostates. Look at what else what it says. Maxwell Coder defines an apostate as one who has received light, but not life. I'm going to write that in there. Received light, but not life. I think, or you, you might already have that in there. Apostates claim to be Christians, but they are not. Nor are they merely unbelievers. And there's a difference here. We're not talking about just lost people. We're talking about people who claim to know Jesus and claim to be believers who really do not know him. Apostates know the truth but do not act upon it. They perform an inside job and are tools of the enemy to destroy the foundation of the church, even though they themselves may be blind. Here's what's interesting. They may be blind to this reality. The apostate may have received the written word in some way, but not the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. We should remember that an apostate is not a true believer. Watch this. He's not a true believer who walks away from his salvation. That is impossible according to Scripture. An apostate professes but does not possess the Lord Jesus Christ. That's hard to get our arms around. But we know the Bible says right. Beware of false prophets. And they come in not saying, hey, I'm a false prophet. I'm here to destroy and wreak havoc. They come in how? They come as ravenous wolves, but they're disguised as sheep. And our enemy delights to use them. Our enemy delights to send them in. Listen to 2 Peter 2, 21 and 22. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But this has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. And so that's what this little book of Jude is all about. It's about apostasy. Those who profess Christ, those who say that they know Christ, but they don't know Christ. They're apostates. They've had uh, the, the light somewhat revealed to them, but they don't have the life. They turn away from the truth. And Jude takes it head on, this apostasy. Now, as you think about apostasy, one man in particular comes to mind. And he's a man from the Bible. And his name, an infamous, infamous name, his name is Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot. Now think about him. Think about Judas Iscariot for a moment. He lived with and traveled and heard the Lord Jesus day in and day out. He saw the miracles. He heard the teaching. He spent time right there with the Lord Jesus himself. In fact, they trusted Judas, didn't they? What was Judas's position among the, the apostles and disciples? And he was the treasurer. You've got to watch the treasurer. Sorry, Mr. Teresa. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but in reality, I mean, when you pick somebody to be a treasurer, who do you pick? You pick the guy you're not sure about, you know, it's kind of shady. 
You pick the most honest person. I mean, the person, no doubt, was respected. Judas is scary. He's in the midst of them. He had light, but no life. He professed Christ, but did not possess the Lord Jesus Christ. One author says that Judas Iscariot's name has become a synonym for apostasy and treachery. Let me ask you something. When's the last time you heard somebody had a new baby boy? And he said, what did they name him? They named him Judas. You know any babies named Judas? Let me ask you another question. Do you even know any dogs named Judas? No one named Lucifer. Yeah, yeah. There was a dog named Lucifer. He attacked you once. Oh, no. Yeah. But, I mean, we don't even name our dogs. Judas is scary. It's it's a Turner's dog. <laughs> we were walking in oh, it's Larry. I forgot who. Larry yeah, he looks like Lucifer too. I'll be honest with you. Dog comes bursting out of these bushes. You know, it's like a jungle back there. She has such He's a got like dog. one red eye. It goes this way. <laughs> he comes out and she says, "Lucifer, don't attack the preacher." <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I thought it, I didn't think that was his name. Sorry. <laughs> I forgot about that. That's true. <laughs> Leave the preacher alone, or something like that. That's so funny. I have saved Rodney Blood. <laughs> Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot. I forgot about that. Judas Iscariot. Um, no, we don't even name our dogs Judas. We just don't name them. It's an infamous name. Nobody names their child or dog or anybody Judas. And so we have this little book uh, called Jude. And you're familiar with the book of the Bible called the Acts of the Apostles. And have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. Well, someone has said that Jude could be called the Acts of the Apostates. The Acts of the Apostates. Let me give you a quick outline of the book because we're just setting the stage tonight. I don't want us to be dry or anything, but you need to get some, some foundational things down here real quickly. Let me give you an outline of the book here. This is Bruce, Bruce Wilkinson's outline. In verses 1 through 4, you have the announcement of apostasy. Verses 5 through 16, you have the anatomy, the anatomy of apostasy, anatomy of apostasy. And in verses 17 through 25, you have the antidote for apostasy. So you have the announcement, the anatomy and the antidote for apostasy. So what I want us to do tonight is go through and I want to read the whole book and then we'll come back. Announcement, anatomy and antidote. And that'll make more sense to you as we study. But I wanted you to have that down. And I want to read the book with you, okay? So if you'll follow along as I read the book, we're going to read the entire book tonight, um, and then we'll come back and we'll lay some foundational truths uh, to help us to know where we're going. The Epistle of Jude, and I'll begin reading there at verse 1. Of course, there's only one chapter. Uh, Jude 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and denied the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. 
and Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal life. Verse 8. Likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts in these things, they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Let me just stop here at verse 12. Notice we're going way back. Old Testament and various things. We're going to dig into some things from the book of Jude. Verse 12. These are spots in your love feast, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds. Late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame. Wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust, and they mouth great sweating words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. These are sensual persons who cause divisions not having the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, Praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ into eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction. But others say with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. (coughs) Amen and amen. Now tonight, that's a lot to take in. You read through that and you say, wow, look at all we're going to cover in this very little book. But listen, tonight we're going to lay the foundation. So you're ready. We're going to ask several questions and then try to get the answers here together from God's word. Number one, who wrote the book of Jude and who was it written to? Who wrote it and who is it written to? Now, if you look at the very first word in the book, you find the name Jude. Now, here's what's interesting. Jude, or Judas, was a common name in Palestine. At least eight of them are talked about in the New Testament. The author of Jude has generally been accepted as, the, as Jude, that is, the Lord Jesus' half-brother. Did I give you all that note in y'all's notes? Look at what it says there. He's to be differentiated from the Apostle Judas, the son of James. And several lines of thought lead to this conclusion. Now, here's why we believe it's Jude. Jude's appeal to be the brother of James, the leader of the Jerusalem Council, Acts 15. And another half-brother of Jesus. Jude's salutation being similar to James, that would be his brother. Jude's not identifying himself as an apostle in verse 1, but rather distinguishing between himself and the apostles, where you find that in verse 17. Now, do you find it interesting, beloved, if this is indeed the Judas we're talking about, that the Lord used a man by the name of Judas 
to write a book that speaks of apostasy. I find that interesting. You have Judas Iscariot, who is the epitome of apostasy. And then you have a man who is a believer, a follower of the Lord, one who loves and honors God, Judas, or Jude as we know him, who writes the book on apostasy. Now, the human author was Jude. It's very clear. Verse 1, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, and brother James. But just like all the Bible, the true author is who? God the Holy Spirit. Yeah, God himself. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, all scripture, including the book of Jude, is given by inspiration of God. Remember what inspiration means? We've talked about that in the past. God breathed. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So we know who wrote it. Jude. We believe Jude, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus. By the way, why is he the half-brother, not the full-brother? That's right. That's right. Jesus is virgin-born. And so we know later on, Mary and Joseph had other kids, and they would have been the half-brother. And if he's not the half-brother, and the Lord Jesus is just a man like us, then we're lost and without hope. The, the virginity of uh, Mary, the virgin birth is of the utmost importance. Now, who was it written to? Note verse 1 again. It says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Who's it written to? Well, Wilmington says it was written to Christians everywhere. Written to Christians everywhere. Though reference to the Old Testament and other Jewish writings suggests the recipients were primarily Jewish Christians. So, originally, the letter probably went to Jewish Christians, but it's written to believers everywhere. It's written to us. He says there, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, preserved in Jesus Christ. In other words, this was written for you and for me. Now, the sad thing about it is the book of Jude has kind of fallen on hard times, it seems. Let me ask you, when's the last time... You, you heard uh, several good sermons from the book of Jude. You might remember lately where you've heard, I don't know if you come here, you haven't had preached them lately, but in your lifetime, thinking back, how many of you have done an in-depth study on the book of Jude? You have. Well, I, I think I've preached on Jude at another church we're at, too. Pastor Rhodes, okay? Anybody else? All right, so it's kind of fallen on. It's one of those books that you kind of, you know, it's there on the way to Revelation or whatever, and you pass by it, or you're flipping around looking for books, and you find a little book of Jude, and you look at it and say, what is this book all about? Well, that's one of the reasons we're studying it. We need to know what it's talking about. Well, when was it written? That's a good question. Uh, well, to be honest with you, we're not really sure when it was written. I, I've got one um, reference that said it was written 35 years after Jesus ascended to heaven. Okay, that's in your, in your Bible there? Okay. Did I give you that quote under there? Let's read that note I've got. Whether Peter used Jude or Jude adapted Second Peter or both used the common sources debated. Because if you go back and look at the and you compare those two books, you're going to be amazed at how the similarities. The similarities between the two are too great to be coincidental. Since Peter writes in his second epistle that there will be false teachers and scoffers, and Jude says such men have crept in, it is probable that Jude is written later. A date between 67 and 80 is likely. Since Jude makes no mention of the destruction of Jerusalem, which happened in A.D. 70, this could suggest it is yet to happen, making a date of 67 to 70 likely. It could also mean that it could have happened some time ago. If Jude was written in A.D. 80 or even 85, assuming Jude lived that long. Another possibility is that the event was still too traumatic for a sensitive Hebrew Christian to use in illustration. So in all honesty, we, we're just not certain. We don't know. But whenever you study a book, that's one of the things that we talk about. When was it written? We're not sure. 
somewhere in that time frame. Now, here's an important question tonight. Why was it written? Look again at verses 3 and 4. And again, beloved, we're just setting the stage. We're going to come back and dig in these verses more uh, next week. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once of all delivered to the saints. It appears that Jude sat down and he was going to write one kind of letter. And he says, I'm going to write to you about the common salvation. Now, one thing that believers love to talk about, and, and we should, is our salvation. But it seems that as Jude sat down to write that, God the Holy Spirit directed him to write something totally different, if you will. It says there, I gave very diligence to write to you concerning common salvation, but I found it necessary to write to you. So there's, some, there's a reason behind it. Why is it necessary to write to them to contend for the favor? Look at verse number four. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. And what kind of men were they? Ungodly men, who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and denied the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the apostates who were slipping into the church, Jude, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, had to write a different kind of letter. And it was a letter to exhort them to contend for the faith. Let's fill out the little portion you have there. This letter from Jude was designed to encourage its readers to contend for the Orthodox faith. Verses, chapter 1, verse 3. To remind them of the certain divine judgment upon the ungodly. And to instruct the believers how to offset the evil effects of false teachers. So he wrote it to encourage them to contend to remind them and instruct them. The theme of the book is contending for the faith. Contend for the faith. That's the theme of the book of Jude. Now, here's another good question, though. When it says faith there, notice there in verse 4, we're talk, or verse 3, where it says, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. What kind of faith are we talking about? When we talk about faith, probably the first faith you think about is saving faith, Right? Somebody has to exercise faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to be forgiven of their sin and made a child of God. For you saved by grace through faith, saving faith. That's not necessarily the faith being talked about here. The faith he's talking about, are you ready for this? The faith he's talking about is not necessarily personal saving faith. That's a part of the truth. But it's referring to the truth of God's word. It's referring to the faith, the doctrine, the truth. Contend for the truth. Contend for the doctrine, contend for the teaching of God's word. Notice it says that this faith was once of all delivered uh, to the saints. It once for all was delivered to the saints. It's referring to God's word. It was not discovered by them. It was delivered to them. And the faith is the truth that the Lord gives. It comes from God. Now, we need to understand that. When we say faith or contend for the faith, we mean contend for the truth. Of God's word. I'm giving you some other things you can read there. But I want you to understand something. Doctrine and truth are not side issues. We can disagree on a lot of things. What kind of issues? I said they're not side issues. They're not side issues. We can disagree on a lot of things. As a church body, we can gather together and we can disagree on what color we want to paint something. Or what color carpet we want. We can disagree on even where we're going on a mission trip. You know, we can say, well, I want to go to Africa and you want to go to Ansevier or whatever, you know. Uh, we can disagree on that. We can, we can compromise in some of those things, right? Well, let's, you want tan, I want green, let's go with 
purple. Um, you know, but listen, when it comes to the truth of God's word, when it comes to what the Bible teaches, we're not to compromise that. We're not to say, well, you know, I don't like that part. Uh, I don't like that part about, you know, I think we should have uh, homosexuals come and, and join our church and be, be members, right? I mean, that's what some people believe. I think the church should be open to that. God's word says it's wrong. It's an abomination, right? Well, I think we should. Somebody might say, I think we should perform same-sex marriages in the church. I mean, if they love each other. Well, God's word says what? That you have man to leave his father and mother and be cleaved to his own wife, and they should be one flesh. And the Bible is very clear that, that, that that's between a man and a woman only. Uh, you know, we can't compromise the truth. Some might say, well, you know what? I don't think it's necessary really for somebody to, to trust Jesus only. I mean, uh, why, not, why don't we just open our doors and we'll just have everybody come and join the church? I mean, they could be a, a Muslim. They could be you know, whoever they want to be. If they want to come be a part of us, we'll just open our doors wide open and just come be a part of us. What's wrong with that? That goes against God's word. I, I think we should just baptize everybody. Right? It doesn't matter if they believe or not. We'll just get, we'll just get kids when they hit the third grade, then we just run them to the baptistry and we say, now you're saved, you're sealed, you're delivered, live like the devil if you want to, and you're going to heaven. What's wrong with that? That's not what God's Word teaches. God's Word teaches that a person must realize they're a sinner, they're lost, they're condemned, and they must turn from their sin to Jesus Christ alone for salvation. What I'm saying, beloved, is there's some things we can get along on and compromise over. I mean, things that don't really matter. But when it comes to God's word and the truth of God's word, we will not compromise. We must not compromise. And that's what Jude is saying. Listen, there are those who would love to come into the church and apostates and come in as, as appearing as sheep. Listen, even the devil comes robed as an angel of light. He doesn't come in all his wickedness saying, man, I'm here to destroy your life. I want to damn you for all eternity. He comes in saying, man, look at that fruit. It looks good. It's going to make you wise. God's holding out on you. He comes rubbed as an angel of light. The apostates come in. They don't appear to be what they are, but they weasel their way in. And they begin to teach false doctrine, begin to lead people astray and seek to destroy the truth of the word of God. Listen, there are some things I'm willing to compromise over. But when it comes to God's word, that's where it stops. We do not compromise God's word. If God's word teaches it, we stand upon it. And that settles it. And so Jude here. Listen, we need to understand doctrine is not a side issue. It's not just something we add on. It's not just something where we have a nice little church or whatever. We do a little Bible study. Listen, beloved, this tells us who we are, what we're supposed to do, and how we're supposed to live. We need to be careful who we invite into our pulpits, who we invite into our church, who we invite as guest speakers, because it's amazing their influence. They can have even one message or one thing they say. When you listen to your Sunday school classes and things, make sure that everybody, when I'm preaching, make sure that what I'm teaching you is from the truth of God's word. Doctrine is not a side issue. We have to understand how important doctrine is. This is a sacred trust. God has given this to us. We're to pass it on to the next generation. We received it from the previous generation. We're all here tonight because somebody loved us. Somebody told us the truth. Somebody made sure we came to church and heard about Jesus. And we're to do the same thing for the following generation. There are those who oppose this. Special features of Jude. Let's read this. We've got to move on here. Jude is the last general epistle. That is, it was not written to a particular church so far as we know. You know, like the, the letter to the Ephesians church or whatever. This is a general epistle. Jude is an epistle of triads. That's a blessing, isn't it, to know that? 
But anyway, what does that mean? That is, the author writes in sets of three. You know, he's a true preacher. Preachers like to have three points, don't we? <laughs> a, B, C, one, two, three. Sometimes they have more, but usually three. The author writes in sets of three, you know. You know a preacher has too much time on his hands, but he starts alliterating his grocery list. You know, apples, avocado, anyway. Um, Just the children with three alliterated steps. Yeah. <laughs> he uses three, three historic examples of judgment in Jude 5 through 7. Three great rebels of the Old Testament, Jude 11. Jude 1 alone has two sets of triads. Notice uh, there, uh, calls, sanctified, preserved. Verse number two, mercy, peace, and love. In other words, he likes sets of three. And you'll find that as we study. Jude is, a, Jude is an epistle. By the way, it's an epistle. That was a wife of the apostle, right? <laughs> an epistle's a letter. That's a letter. Y'all get that when you go back and listen later on the night. You've just fallen asleep. I understand what he's saying now. It's an epistle written to combat false teachers and their apostasy. It's an epistle that covers the terrible characteristics and judgments of false teachers. It's an epistle that tells believers how to combat false teaching. It's an epistle that stresses mercy and rescue. Believers are to do all they can to save those polluted and contaminated by false teaching, unlike the people I thought I knew way back who believed that we're just to stay away from those people and don't get near them. God tells us to go out and try to win them. Jude is an epistle with the reassuring doxology. No more reassuring words could be chosen to close a letter than the words of Jude 24 and 25. Of all the closing words of the epistles, these are probably the best known. Now, in all honesty, we're going to come back and cover these verses again. But we have to ask this question tonight. And that is, do you really know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? I'm not asking how long you've been a church member. I'm not asking any of that. It's not, it's not enough just to know about Jesus. We must know him by faith. Can you look back in your life and you find a time where you know that God, the Holy Spirit, convicted your heart, showed you of your sin, and brought you to saving faith? Listen, here's the sad reality. Our churches, and our church as well, there are people who come here week after week after week who are not saved. And I mean people you think are saved, um, but they've never had a personal relationship and experience with the Lord Jesus. All of us need to make sure, and my, my, my goal is not to make anybody doubt their salvation, because we're truly born again, we're truly eternally secure. But listen, make sure that you know that you truly are born again. Has there been a time in your life? Because what did it say earlier tonight? It says, many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, we did this in your name, we did that in your name. I was a member of Red Hill Baptist Church. I went to church every Sunday. I gave. Man, I took the preacher out to eat. I did all these things. And Jesus could look at that person and say, what? I never knew you. I never knew you. First John 5, 12 through 13 God wants you to have, know, have the assurance of your salvation. Listen, this is precious to me. I grew up in a, in, a, in a group where I was kind of taught by some pastors that, you know, you could pretty much lose your salvation. Okay? That's a horrible way to live the Christian life. It's a horrible way to live. I thank God for the assurance of my salvation. God wants us to have that. First John 5, 12 and 13. Who, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. These things have I written to you that you, who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, listen, that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. If somebody says to you, well, you really can't know that you're born again. You really can't know you have eternal life. You just have to guess. Listen, take them to 1 John 5, 12 through 13. It says what? These things have been written to you that you may know that you have eternal life. And if you're here tonight, and I'm just, I'm just speaking out because we, we understand from Jude that there's those who pretend to be saved but aren't. But listen, if that's you, turn from your sin tonight. 
And if you are born again tonight, realize surrounding us all around, even in the pew maybe with you on a Sunday morning, could be a lost person. I can't think of anything more tragic, and we're going to close with this. I can't think of anything more tragic than for somebody to spend their lifetime in a church that believes the gospel and preaches the gospel. And they hear it over and over and over again. And maybe even themselves share it with somebody else. And that person dies and goes to hell. Can you think of anything more tragic than that? To know the truth and yet not respond to the truth. Or to play a game. We've got a lot of game players in the church. They know how to walk the walk and talk the talk and play the game. But in their heart of hearts, many of them know they're not born again. Listen, let's make sure that we know Christ. And as we know Him, let's make Him known. Regardless of what my what I thought my friends think of me or what they I thought that they were, they're wrong. The Lord's called us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That began with the apostles and the Great Commission. It continues with you and I tonight. We're not done. That's why we're still here. We're to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. God didn't save us and take us immediately to heaven, did He? Now maybe you wish He had. But man, He left us here for a reason. I'm going to close with this. I remember the story there where He healed the demonic man. And the demonic man wanted to go with Him. And Jesus said, no, don't, don't come with me. But what did He tell him to do? You remember the story? Go back. Go back and tell others. Go back and share with others what I've done for you. That's what God says to us. That's what Jesus says to us. Listen, I have you here for a purpose. And I want you to go and tell others what I've done for you. And I can do the same for them. Uh, Jude is a book that will be very practical today, which we live. Apostasy runs rampant. It's all around us. Let's know about it. Let's know how to deal with it. Let's know how to live for the Lord. We need to pray. I see you can get the choir. Father, we love you and praise you and thank you for this evening. Thank you for the Great Commission. Thank you for the great command. Help us to love you and love others. And help us to love the gospel and make it known to the ends of the earth. Thank you, Lord, for delivering us and helping us to know the truth, to live the truth. Father, if there's anybody here, anybody within the sound of my voice, maybe listening later to this message. Lord, I pray if they don't know you, and maybe they're just playing a game, they'll come to know you. And then for those of us who are true believers, help us to walk in that assurance and help us to be sharing the gospel freely and openly with all who will hear. We pray these things in the Savior's name. Amen. God bless you. We love you.